Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I am the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Karen Catlin. She's a former VP in the tech industry. She's a leadership coach. She's a speaker, author, and advocate for inclusion in the workplace. She also mentors students on their career goals. I'm really interested in speaking with her about her interest in women entering and staying in tech, her public speaking book, and her favorite speaking topics. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Karen. Thank you, Neil. I'm so thrilled to be here today. And I'm thrilled that you're here as well. My first question has to do with what you ended up studying in school. I saw that you did computer science. What was the motivation for that? Oh, it's interesting. So first of all, and anyone who's listening is going to be able to tell how old I am very quickly if they're good at math. But when I graduated from high school and got my like entrance, I applied to a great school, got in, and then I was like, what do I do? What am I going to study? I really didn't know. The year was 1981. So this is like, it's going back a long time. And at that point, computers were just starting to come out. They were very new still. My high school did not have any computers in it. We didn't have personal computers yet, so we didn't have one at home or in the workplaces I was in. Yet, my father, thank, thank goodness for this, he, I remember a conversation with him. He said, Karen, you are really good at making things. You love, you're a maker. You're always making crafts and that type of thing. You're good at problem solving and math, and you like solving puzzles. Maybe you would like to study this new field called software engineering, computer science. Maybe you would like to study that in college. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. But Neil, here's the thing. Like I, so I went to college, declared computer science major, and I had never touched a computer before. But based on that advice from my father that I'd probably be, be good at it and enjoy it, I did. And fortunately, while it was hard, it was really hard for me to learn it. Um, I, I did love it and went on to have a big career, you know, a very long career in computer science and software. You know, your story is kind of similar to mine, Karen. I ended up in engineering because my father said to do, to do so as well. I don't know if, if your father was a little nicer about it. I don't know if it was more of an opinion or a recommendation. My father pretty much said, go study engineering. And I just I, I did what he said. Luckily, it, it, it worked out for me. So I'm, I'm not too upset about it, you know, after the fact. So, so, you know, I mentioned that you were a VP in tech for a number of years, but obviously you didn't start off at the VP level. What type of work did you do when you were in tech? It yeah, so started out writing code for a living, as, as many people do. And over time, I moved into more leadership roles. Um, I, when I uh, first sort of realized professionally like okay coding is fun but what I really enjoy doing is getting everything organized getting project plans together figuring out how to take this huge engineering problem and divide and conquer until it was in more meaningful chunks or manageable chunks for a work team and so I moved into program management roles where I was chartered with that kind of work understanding 
the technology, the kind of work it would take to code something, but really looking at the big picture and figuring out how to break it down. So I moved into program management roles. And from there, I started managing people. And from there, uh, you know, over time, got promoted to the VP level. Um, I was a vice president of engineering at both Macromedia. And then when Macromedia was acquired by Adobe, I went on to work at Adobe as a vice president. So all these, these changes or promotions that you got in, you know, when you were working in the tech field, were these all things that you were going after or these things that people saw you would probably be good at and encourage you to do? Yeah, um, a combination of both, I'd say. There was one man in particular, his name's Norm. And Norm, I worked for him my first job out of college. I then followed him to my second job and then the third job. And all along the way, he was the one who almost always saw something in me that I did not see in myself and pointed out opportunities like, you'd be really good at this. And based on that, it allowed me and encouraged me and enabled me to try out some different things, to push myself in ways that maybe I didn't see in myself that I frankly didn't even see other people doing at times. But because he saw a little, you know, step ahead or saw things in me I didn't see myself, he was guiding me a bit and um, opened a lot of career doors for me. Very thankful for that man. Wonderful. So you have Norm and you have your dad too, at least two guys in your life that, that really pushed you into, you know, going, going for something. So, you know, I mentioned in the, in the intro that you were, you're an advocate for women entering and, and staying in, in tech. And this is a topic that I'm actually kind of interested in, just, you know, curious about because I'm, I, the, the, I'm, I'm just kind of curious about the reason that some women, you know, enter and then, and then leave after a while. I guess because you're, you've been in that field and I don't know if, if you would consider yourself having left because you're not a, you're not a VP at the, at, you know, these companies anymore, you work for yourself, but what do you think the reason is for women, women, I mean, they, they saw the, the benefit of entering tech, but then they, they go, why? Yes. So first of all, I'm going to step back. And I already mentioned when I graduated from high school, early 80s, that meant I graduated from college in 85. And I just want to point out something interesting about 1985, the year I graduated with my computer science degree. That year, across the United States, it was like this record peak year for women studying computer science and information science. Across the United States, it was 37% of the graduates with computer science, information science degrees were women. So it wasn't 50-50, but it was 37%. It was a big number. And I went back through my yearbook from college and actually counted all my classmates who studied computer science. And we had a ratio of 38%. So in my program, that's, that was my experience too. But after that year, that peak year of 1985, it started to decline. And it went down to a low, maybe about five years ago, four years ago, of about 17% of the computer science and information science degrees were going to women. Um, and we saw that playing out in the, the tech industry too, where when I first started my career, there were a lot of women um, you know, sitting side by side with me in those meetings and so forth. And then over time, it did decline and more men started entering this incredibly fun, interesting and lucrative field, basically. So just want to set some context there. Fast forward to, you know, sort of the last um, five or so years, there's been a lot of research about women dropping out of tech at higher rates than men, regardless of 
their overall numbers in tech, but as a percentage, they're still dropping out at a higher rate. And this is not the same as in other scientific disciplines, um, the, the other STEM kind of areas. Um, there's something happening in tech that's different than what's happening in these other STEM disciplines for women. And um, I'm not a researcher, but I consume um, so much research that's out there. And there is research showing that the reason women are dropping out from tech at a higher rate than men, it's not caregiving, which you might naturally go to. It is more that these workplaces can be toxic or women feel that they are not getting ahead at the same rate as their male peers. And that's super frustrating. And of course, you know, it's like, why am I bothering killing myself? Why am I bothering, you know, proving myself over and over again when I'm not getting the recognition, not getting the promotions, not getting ahead in my career? And they do end up dropping out. So with that insight, that fuels me to be a leadership coach for women who want to grow their careers and stay in tech and are looking for but it just, you know, some additional external advice from someone who's, who's um, not their manager, maybe, or not someone who's really embedded in the company, but external advice. And it also focuses me and inspires me to work on my other area of uh, professional focus, which is um, how people can be better allies for not just women in the workplace, but anyone from an underrepresented group. Um, and so I have some books on that topic as well. And I do a lot of speaking on how to be a better ally and create a more inclusive workplace. Okay, so it sounds like the, the majority of women are leaving tech kind of disgruntled because they they didn't like the, the workplace that they were in and they didn't have the, the, the growth opportunities that they had hoped for. So is it that they are leaving tech to go into non-tech where the workplaces are less toxic and they do have those growth opportunities? Um, I believe so, yes. They're, they're, they're pivoting their careers to something that they think is going to be more fulfilling and more, have more opportunity for them. Okay, I get it. So I mentioned also in the intro that you put out a book called Present a Techie's Guide to Public Speaking. What's the, what, I guess, what's included in the book and what do you hope people get out of it? Yes, so um, I co-authored that book with another woman in tech. Her name's Purnima Vijay Shankar. And she and I were collaborating on a few projects where we were running a meetup, and in, this was in San Francisco about five, six, seven years ago, a meetup for women in tech, teaching some of the soft skills that help people get ahead with their careers. And one topic that kept resonating with people was public speaking. And let's face it, so many people are fearful of public speaking because of the stage fright, that, um, that concern, I'll be too nervous to do a good job. People are concerned about public speaking and saying no to opportunities because they're like, yeah, I just like, who would want to hear what I have to say? Like, I've only been a software engineer for maybe two years or a product owner for a couple of years. Like, I'm not an expert. Like, why would someone want to hear me? Um, a third reason people have for stepping back from public speaking opportunities is things like, um, I'm afraid I'll be boring. Like, <laughs> I really like, I don't think I'm going to be good at it. And here's the you know. I understand all of those challenges are real, but the thing is that public speaking is like a multivitamin for a career. It can be like this, this boost that you need to be more visible so that sponsors know about you and they can eventually open career doors for you. Public speaking allows you to show your expertise so that you command more credibility in the meetings and so forth that you might attend internally. Like, and I'm talking about public speaking, whether that's speaking at a big conference 
a Zoom conference, whatever, or even a smaller opportunity like giving an update at a team meeting or an engineering all hands meeting, right? I'm talking about the internal and external kinds of things, but public speaking gives you visibility and cements your expertise in a way that so many other things just don't. It's, it's the multivitamin. And so um, Pornima and I, as we were teaching public speaking at these meetups and then getting invitations to do co uh, courses basically inside tech companies on this topic, we eventually decided to collaborate on a book. And so we co-wrote Present, a Techie's Guide, excuse me, a Techie's Guide to Public Speaking. And the book is really a, it's the book that she and I both wish we had had earlier in our careers to kind of break it all down, address some of these top concerns people have, and give strategies for how you can overcome each one. So are you you're fearful of public speaking? Well, here are some, you know, and, and that's real, we don't dismiss it, but here's some techniques you can try. You think you don't have anything to share, any expertise to share? Well, here is step-by-step -step exercise for extracting your expertise and putting it down and figuring out a talk around that. Um, feel like you're gonna be boring? Well, here are some strategies for using storytelling, even in a highly technical presentation that will allow you to really engage your audience from the first time you open your mouth and keep them engaged throughout your talk. Um, and so on. So it is a very practical soup to nuts kind of book to help people get over, you know, their, their concerns and kind of just level up wherever they are in their public speaking, level it up to that next level and then be able to use that to leverage career growth for yourself. You know, it's funny how you mentioned storytelling. I'm a big fan of it too. And it wasn't some, and that's, you know, that wasn't an issue. That wasn't always the case. I never thought that storytelling was appropriate for more technical type presentations, but it, it, it's appropriate for any type of presentation. When you're a child, you like stories. It's not as if when you become an adult, you stop liking them. It's just for some reason, we just think that it's something that's, you know, it's left to outside of workplaces, especially in the tech field, but it really is helpful in keeping people's attention for sure. Keeping, absolutely keeping people's attention, but also helping them remember your talk. They, it helps it almost become viral in terms of, you know, someone attends your talk, listens to your talk, and then is able to summarize it or share a key learning. Like, I just, I just listened to Neil talk about this, and he shared, like, this time when, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, the stories are what people remember and are able to communicate and retell. And this gets back to our heritage of, like, you know, telling stories around a fire um, to communicate wisdom and so forth. I mean, this goes back way, way, way uh, in our ancestry. And so I think it's, it, it is important to do it in technical presentations as well. Sure. In fact, Neil, I have a favorite example to demonstrate how powerful this is. Do you mind if I take a minute to do that? Probably two minutes. Oh, well, I'm not going to tell you no now, now you ask. Come on. <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. I'm going to do kind of a before and an after. The before is how most people start any presentation. They start with their agenda. That's the before, okay? I'm then gonna do an after version. The after version is, imagine you don't start with your, ag your agenda, but you start with a story, okay? So, here, ho hope this communicates well over this uh, video. All right, so the before version. Hi everyone, I'm Karen Catlin, and I'm here to tell you, uh, Wait, let me back up. I'm going to take two. Take two. Hi, everyone. I'm Karen Catlin. And in my talk today, 
I'm going to share three best practices for handling a distributed denial of service attack on your website. Let's go. Okay, so that's take one. That's when I start with my agenda, okay? Mm -hmm. Now compare it to the second version, the after version, which is starting with a story. Six months ago, we were under attack. Our website was experiencing a distributed denial of service attack, DDoS, and it was our first one ever. We didn't know what to do. Well, I'm Karen Catlin, and in my talk today, I'm gonna to share the three best practices we wish we had known that night. Let's go. You see how simple? Adding a story to the start of any talk can, can, yeah, can make it so much more engaging. You're all of a sudden curious, you put yourself in the shoes of the person who had this DDoS and had never experienced one before. And you start getting curious to hear a little bit more as opposed to that factual agenda of, I'm gonna share three ways to handle a DDoS. So anyway, hopefully that helps. Um, if anyone is thinking, yeah, storytelling doesn't belong in a technical presentation, hopefully I've convinced a few people to try it out. Oh yeah, for sure. Those were, that was an excellent example. Take two and three, I guess. Take one, take one, take, we'll ignore take, take one. one. <laughs> I, wasn't quite, I wasn't quite in the mindset. So yeah, take two and take three, exactly. Take two and three, yeah, those were good. So, okay, excellent. So when it comes to the, the presentations that you do, do you have particular topics that you enjoy speaking on? And if so, what are they? Yes, so I've, I've done probably a hundred talks on the book, Present a Techie's Guide to Public Speaking. And I love speaking about that. But most of my public speaking these days is about my second book, which is Better Allies, Everyday Actions to Create Inclusive, Engaging Workplaces. And this topic is so important and there's a hunger around it right now. Um, unfortunately, I published, well, so not unfortunately, I published the book a year and a half ago, but it, and it was popular the very first year, very, you know, out of the gate. It was a popular book. Thank, thank you everyone who has um, purchased a copy of it and has invited me to speak about it. But what we've seen this summer, the summer of 2020, with um, the unfortunate killing of so many black people by police, including on May 24th with George Floyd being killed, what we've seen is people across the United States wanting to do something to end systemic racism in our society. And so people are protesting, people are donating money in record amounts to Black Lives Matter causes, and they're also looking to elect new officials, policy change and so forth, drive that. But in addition to all of those things, people are reflecting on their workplace where they spend a lot of time and asking like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't realize some of these things before. I didn't realize that racism actually maybe showed up in the workplace. And I didn't realize the challenges that people who are black, but people from other underrepresented groups might face too, women in tech, for example, or people with disabilities, members of the LGBTQ plus community, um, people who are older, for example, even. Um, there's so many people who are underrepresented in a workplace, and there's so many people now who want to know, like, how can I support them? How can I be an ally? So I am doing a lot of speaking on that right now, um, and hopefully uh, showing people this, some of the simple things they can do to start creating a more, more inclusive workplace than they have today. Wonderful. When it comes to public speaking, is, there, is, it, is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what did you do to get better at it? Oh, it's such a good question. No, I used to hate it. 
I used to not think I was very good at it. Even as a VP, I would shy away from opportunities that weren't necessarily required. Sure, I did a lot of public speaking because I had to run my all hands meetings. I had to present work, but I never thought I was very good at it. And literally, I remember there are times where people would be like, hey, Karen, can you speak on a panel about blah, blah, blah. And my first response was like, oh, I'm busy. And then they'd be like, oh, we didn't even tell you when it was yet. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm busy. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I'm kind of a little bit busted, but um, so it changed. And I still remember the exact day I changed my mindset about public speaking. It was after I had left tech, was starting my business as a leadership coach, and I was on a walk with a mentor to try to get a her advice about how I should build a business, because I'd never done that before, but build a business as a leadership coach focused on women in tech. And during this walk, I still remember she asked me a question, which was, hey, Karen, do you do much public speaking? And as she asked that question, I started thinking of all the excuses. No, I don't do much public speaking. I don't enjoy it. I'm not good at it. No way but I didn't say any of those things out loud. Instead, I thought about why she asked the question. And of course, what she, why she was asking it was because it could be the key to unlocking this whole business I wanted to start. It could be the way to get the word out about my background, about my, the way I approach things, the way I um, think about the world. It could be the key to unlocking this business. So instead of saying, no, I'm not good at it. No, I don't do it. Like all this thought process, I simply said, you know, I need to do more of it. And on that day, when I said I need to do more public speaking, I set a goal for myself to speak in public once a month because I just, I mean, I just had to like force myself kind of dive into the deep end, so to speak, and just start doing it and get comfortable with it. And, um, now, I mean, I absolutely love it. I give talks a couple times a week now, and I've even given a TEDx talk on a very big stage. Um, I really, I love public speaking now. So I understand the journey. It's scary in the beginning, but if you are committed and you want to do it, you can, you can master it. It's something that is something that just takes practice and experience. And you, you, if you commit to that, you can make it happen. One thing I forgot to ask is, you know, as I mentioned, you worked in tech for quite some time, but then you left to start your own thing. Was becoming self-employed something you always planned on doing? No, it, it was not something I'd always planned on doing. I had always gotten a, like a regular paycheck from a company before. This was done because I just had this passion and desire to help women in tech. And I thought this was the best approach was to start my own business as a leadership coach. Um, and that, of course, since then, I also did not have a goal to write books. And now, since starting my own business, I've published three books. I mean, it was like, it, some of this is just organic. I wanted to serve a community. I wanted to build a business around that and support myself. But then one thing leads to another. And, um, and I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of not having the five or 10-year plan. I, I like taking advantage of the opportunities as they come along, pushing in certain directions, but then organically shifting and taking advantage of things that that come up that you never could have anticipated and maybe weren't part of a five or ten year plan yeah i'm not i'm not a big fan of those five or ten year plans either because they, they, how often do they really ever materialize you, people change their minds about things and then they go down paths that perhaps they didn't 
anticipate, you know, five or 10 years earlier. So exactly. I don't, I don't even know why people even ask that damn question anymore. <laughs> five, <ten years. laughs> and, and, and tech changes so quickly too. I mean, there are jobs that we never could have anticipated five or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I'm mentoring, you, you know, I, I mentor students and one student I'm working with right now, given her interests, and she's getting a computer science degree, but given her other interests outside of that, I said, you know, are you at all interested in working in like ethics and safety in tech? And she's like, what is that? And so we had a great conversation about the role that some companies have around having um, ethics, safety, and trust teams that look out for their product offerings and how that impacts the community and their customers. And she was super excited about that. Well, five years ago, I don't think I knew anyone who had, you know, that kind of job title working in tech, but today most companies have it. So just one example. If she were to work in safety or ethics in tech, would she still be considered working in tech? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I okay. think so. All right. Because <laughs> if not, I'm going to be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> we're trying to get more women into tech. <laughs> <You're talking laughs> no, no, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think it counts. Yeah. All right. All right. It counts. All right. You say it counts, it counts. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and then another thing, I, a question I had about, about public speaking for your presentations. Do you have a process that you go through to prepare your presentations? And if so, what is it? Yes. So I used to, and I don't do this anymore, but I used to write out my script. I used to write out all the points I wanted to make, the words I wanted to use, and then I'd memorize it. Oh, wow. The problem with that is you have to rely on your memory. <laughs> you have to practice a lot, which is probably good. But what happens is you sound stilted. Even the most talented people sound stilted. And I now can tell when someone has memorized a script, I can tell, or they're reading from a teleprompter. Um, so what I started doing is taking those long scripts and simplifying them into an outline, which is now how I just prepare. I just create an outline. I create an outline of the topics I wanna to cover, the key points, the key message I might wanna repeat a few times through my talk, if there are a few phrases that I want to memorize, so I really just nail them, I, I deliver them well, and I, they're really strong and they're using just the right words, I'll write those phrases out, but I no longer write a script. I only use the outline. And then I practice from my outline. I practice out loud, and this is critical. When we practice what we're going to say in our head, we sound perfect every time. We don't fumble over words. We don't uh, we don't use ums, even though I probably used a few in this recording so far. We don't use ums or other filler words. We sound amazing. But when we speak it out loud to practice, we catch ourselves. We catch ourselves like, that's awkward. That's hard for me to say. I don't quite sound great here. We you have to practice it out loud so you really are getting it. And another best practice, which I used to do, I don't feel it's necessary anymore because I do this so much, but I used to also record myself. I record myself practicing out loud, and then I would do two things with that recording. I would watch it without the sound on, just to get a sense of was I doing too much of this, or did I have some funny thing going on with my mouth that made me uncomfortable as I watched it, right? Just look at it to, to understand how you are projecting yourself visually, and then listen to it without watching it. Listen to it, and catch the places you're having filler words like the ums, catch yourself using some awkward phrases or some things that maybe you slurred a little bit because you were speaking too quickly, 
and then practice again and course correct for those mistakes. So there are a couple tips that I have used in the past. Wonderful. Do you ever get nervous before you give a presentation? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? Yeah, not anymore. I do it so much, but I certainly have in the past. Um, I mentioned I gave a TEDx talk and it was about women in tech and how we need more and what we all can do about it. And that was in 2014. So six years ago, I was doing more public speaking at that point, but not to the extent that I'm doing now. And I was definitely nervous thinking about that TEDx talk. You know, I was nervous because I, it was going to be on a big, bigger stage than I had been speaking at. I was nervous because it was an important message and I really wanted to get a, do a good job on it. My, my message about women in tech and how we need more, why, and it was going to be recorded and put like on the TED YouTube channel. So it was kind of like a big deal. And my nerves were a big deal as a result. Now, before my TEDx talk, I fortunately heard about Amy Cuddy and this approach she had called power posing, striking a powerful pose before you're about to do something nerve wracking, like give a presentation. And while her research has since been questioned about this whole thing, but her, her premise is that when you strike a powerful pose, like a big pose, you know, something bigger than you usually have, if you do that for two minutes, your body creates more testosterone, which makes you feel more powerful and confident, and it lowers your cortisol, which makes you feel anxious and nervous. So more, more testosterone, more power, less nervousness, less cortisol. It's like just what you need before you go to, on stage to give a big talk. So I power posed for two minutes in my hotel room that morning, and it it was awkward, definitely, um, but I did it. And then I did it backstage just before I went out to give my talk. And the people were looking at me with fun funny looks back there, the organizers and so forth. But I didn't care. I said, this is going to be my strategy for giving a very powerful talk. And then when I walked out onto the stage, Neil, I couldn't believe it. Like I had no nerves at all. That talk was fun to give and it totally changed my sort of confidence around public speaking. So that is something that I've used in the past. I don't need to use it anymore because I, I simply just don't get the nerves, but I used it for that TEDx talk and a number of talks after that. And it was, it was a game changer for me. Interesting. Maybe that's something to try up, up like this, huh? Yeah, <laughs> for two right. minutes, set the timer on your phone yes. so you make wow. sure you do it for the full two minutes. Your arms didn't get tired? I'm sorry? Your arms didn't get tired? Well, you can mix it up. You can kind of put it like on your hips, you know, for like the Wonder Woman look. You can do the Wakanda, Black Panther kind of thing. Anything that is bigger and more powerful. So yeah, your hands do get tired, definitely, but mix it up. Okay, gotcha. So you've offered some excellent tips on, on getting better at, at public speaking. Certainly outlining and then practicing out loud is helpful. You know, not memorizing because you sound more robotic and, and stilted. And even the, the power moves, you know, that, that could potentially help two minutes with your hands up and where you're on your hips, maybe, you know, that can be helpful. Any other tips that you could offer in becoming more effective at public speaking? Um, <laughs> the storytelling. Think about starting right. your presentation with a short little story just to hook your audience from the beginning before you say your agenda. All right. That's, a, that's an excellent one. So this has been really interesting talking to you, Karen. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about things you're working on? Um, 
it, I would just say if people are interested in inclusive workplaces, stop over at betterallies.com. I want to give myself a little shout out there. You, you have a free weekly newsletter. I'm active on social media, on Twitter and Instagram on that topic. And I think that this is something that everyone working in tech should understand that they have a role to play to be more inclusive. They don't need to have the words diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity on their business card, like on their title, but everyone can have something that they can do every day to be more inclusive. And I want to get the word out about that. All right. So in addition to betterallies.com, is there any other way that you'd like people to get in touch with you? Yes. KarenCatlin.com has a contact page. If people have questions or anything, they can find me there. Wonderful. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering is a public speaking course, and it's called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Neil.